Coming to you from the AT&T Podcast Studio, this is Long Story Short. I'm Ted Struley, the Executive Director at Oklahoma Watch. We're a statewide nonprofit news organization that specializes in investigative reporting. You're listening to our weekly podcast, which lets you hear directly from our journalists as they provide deeper insight into their recently published stories. Keaton Ross covers democracy and criminal justice for Oklahoma Watch. In his latest Democracy Watch newsletter, he wrote about the legislature approving a bill to eliminate the state portion of the grocery sales tax. Uh, Keaton, lawmakers have floated the idea of eliminating that state grocery sales tax for several years. What prompted action on the proposal? So the state budget outlook has improved pretty significantly over the past several years. Of course, if you're going back to 2017 and 2018 with the teacher walkout and um, shortfalls and and whatnot, uh, something like this grocery sales tax uh, wouldn't have been a realistic uh, proposition. But as revenues have increased and um the, the governor and some of the leading Republicans in the legislature have ran on uh, cutting cutting taxes, providing some kind of relief um, as, as inflation has has shot up over the past few years. Um, this this came up and was finally approved after uh, the State Board of Equalization uh, finalized budget numbers for the upcoming fiscal year. Now, has this been a partisan issue? This has actually been something that had. Uh, more traction on the Democratic side uh, historically um, uh, with with folks in the Democratic caucus arguing that uh, grocery sales tax would help folks on the lower end of the income scale compared to an income tax that might help someone more who has a higher income. Um, so ultimately, as this went through the, the House and the Senate, it uh, was a pretty bipartisan uh, vote of support for this measure. Now, uh, did any lawmakers argue against that proposal when it appeared on the Senate floor last week? There was one, Senator Roger Thompson, who's chairman of the Senate Appropriations Committee, uh, basically expressing concerns that if there's some kind of a, a, a downturn, economic downturn or revenues not uh, where the state expects it to be, that it, it could cause cuts or there could be issues. Um, with state services, uh, I guess, referencing some of the issues that happened several years ago, as I mentioned before, sort of um, in 2017, 2018, where uh, the budget outlook was not good. Um, but there was only there was Thompson and then Senator Mary Bourne, a Democrat from Norman, were the only senators to vote against the proposal. What was uh, Governor Stitt's response to uh, lawmakers approving that tax cut? It was a very positive response. He posted a uh, a screenshot on Twitter of uh, just uh, I believe it was like uh, it was in the makings of like a grocery receipt and said something along the lines of uh, very glad that this uh, relief is going forward, that sort of thing. Um, so the governor is, a, is going to sign that this week and um, will take effect this year. Uh, you, you said it takes effect this year. Is this one of those things that uh, hits the books in November or will we see that uh, at another time? 
The expectation is that it will, <clears throat> it has an emergency clause and the expectation is that it will take effect sometime in August. Um, so looking about maybe five, six months for it to be uh, implemented. Uh, once that is implemented, how much are Oklahomans likely to save at the grocery store? So the current state grocery tax is 4.5%. Uh, so you're looking at if you spend $100 on groceries in a week um, and you're normally taxed $108, or your total is $108 with the state and municipal tax, uh, that would go down to like $103.50. Um, so if you're looking at the course of a year, um, that, that amounts to, um, a decent amount, uh, just with, uh, you know, having to go to the groceries and buy food every week. Um, so around 4.4.5% 4. is the rate, uh, this bill doesn't do away with the local municipal tax on groceries. So you'll continue paying that, but uh, a decent rate going forward once this takes effect. And uh, we should probably say this is not a specific tax on groceries. This is a uh, the sales tax rate for the state or municipalities, right? It just has always applied to groceries like everything else. This just exempts groceries from the sales tax. Is that right? That's right. Yes. Uh, now, how much annual revenue does the state stand to lose uh, when people stop paying that that tax on their groceries? Uh, the latest estimate is around four hundred and eighteen million. Uh, so a fairly decent chunk of revenue there. And uh, are we going to see any any more tax cuts uh, during the legislative session this year? Uh, the governor has certainly been fairly vocal about uh, his position on tax cuts. The House seems to agree with him. The Senate's been a little more reluctant. What are we likely to see between now and the end of May? Likely no more tax cuts. The Senate pro tem Greg Treat has said that this grocery tax is the only tax that his caucus is going to take up this year. Uh, of course, as you mentioned, the governor has advocated for uh, that some sort of an income tax cut, uh, as as has House Speaker Charles McCall. Um, so we'll see if there's any any more movement there. But likely this is the the one tax measure that the legislature takes up this year. All right. Well, thanks, Keaton. You can read all of Keaton's coverage of uh, democracy and criminal justice on our website, OklahomaWatch.org. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to his weekly newsletter, Democracy Watch. Reporter Paul Munnies has been following a bill in the state house that would change how debt collectors go after people with medical debts. Paul, can you explain that proposal? That's right. Yeah, we took a look at uh, House Bill 4148 by Representative Suzanne Schreiber. Uh, she's a Democrat from Tulsa. It's also co-authored by uh, Mark Lepak, who is a Republican from Claymore. And it would basically require uh, health care uh, providers or third-party debt collectors to tell the court that they made customers aware of the cost of care before a debt collection lawsuit can proceed. Can proceed. Now, how many Oklahomans are carrying uh, medical debts? So, yeah, it's actually quite high. About one in five Oklahomans have some kind of medical debt in collections, which uh, is also maybe an under kind of statement because some debt does not show up as a medical debt collection. Uh, so that's about most of them had about a median debt of about nine hundred dollars. 
Now we're still in the uh, early part of the session. When, where is the bill in the process? Yeah, so this is a House bill and it went through a House committee for uh, civil uh, judiciary matters. And so it sailed through there 10 to nothing and now heads to the House floor for further consideration. So it's still a little bit early, but it's got a little bit to go as well. Now, your story talked about the number of debt collection lawsuits filed in the state. Where did that information come from? Yeah, so the Oklahoma Access to Justice Foundation is kind of a nonprofit that kind of helps people access courts who don't necessarily have attorneys all the time. Uh, and they've taken a look at uh, more than 340,000 debt collection cases in the last five years. And uh, more, almost 10% of those involve some kind of medical debt. Uh, and so they're, they're really kind of concerned about this issue and how it's impacting Oklahomans. Now, how are uh, other states uh, tackling the problem? Oklahoma is not the only place where people are carrying medical debt, right? That's right. Yeah, other states have kind of toughened some consumer protections. Uh, Oklahoma's kind of gone the price transparency route. So we passed a law a couple years ago that basically uh, mandated that doctor's office, hospitals, clinics uh, tell people their cash price for the top 20 services. Uh, the unfortunate part of that, that didn't have any kind of regulatory teeth to it. And so this bill by uh, Representative Schneider, Schreiber, and uh, LePac, we kind of add a little bit to that, that existing law in terms of uh, debt collection side of that. States aren't the only ones looking at that. It's a, a problem across the country. What's the federal government doing? Yeah, this has long been a, an issue for the federal government, especially the Consumer Protection uh, Bureau. They are actually looking at uh, the issue of medical uh, credit cards. Those are credit cards that might be offered at the point of, of care, uh, say in a doctor's office, an emergency room, even a dental office or a veterinarian's office that basically give people a chance to sign up for uh, an easy uh, interest-free card for a little while to pay for the medical bills right in front of them. Now, there, there's some issues on that that consumers are not necessarily aware of all the problems with those types of uh, consumer credit uh items that are, are for sale there. And so the, the, the feds are kind of taking a look at this. They've not actually done anything yet. They're basically in the early, early stages of rulemaking, have kind of put out a request for information for everybody affected by this market and kind of said, how, how big of a problem is this and do we need to do anything? Now, uh, often we see uh, more than one bill on a topic. Do we uh, have any other medical debt-related bills working their way through the legislature? There is one that is a little bit different, but it's just in terms of all kinds of uh, debt collections, uh, and it would basically require um, that that notice to be in plain legal language. And so a lot of these issues end up in small claims court where you don't have to have an attorney. Uh, and so it's a lot of that is dependent on the forms that are checkoffs. Uh, and so basically this, this bill by Representative John Waldron in Tulsa uh, is, has not been had, heard in committee yet, but would basically uh, force companies to put uh, wage garnishment language in plain language to help kind of the, the ease of the court process for those folks affected by that. All right. Well, thanks, Paul. You can read all of uh, Paul Money's coverage of state government on our website, OklahomaWatch.org. Heather Warlick is our newest reporter at Oklahoma Watch. She covers evictions, homelessness, and housing. And she's here to talk about the potential of having evictions sealed or expunged from Oklahoma court records uh, to help people put uh, some of those problems in their past. Heather, how common are eviction filings in Oklahoma and nationally? Well, Ted, the numbers are pretty staggering, really. Every four minutes, someone in the United States is served with an eviction notice. And in Oklahoma, in 2023, more than 48,000 evictions were filed. So 17,000 of those were in Oklahoma County. 
So it's a pretty common problem that affects so many families and really can put them on a a path to homelessness and other uh, bad outcomes. We think of evictions as somebody just not paying their rent. Uh, You know, landlords aren't charities. Why shouldn't they be evicted? Well, Ted, many evictions are filed because renters just don't pay their rent for months. Uh, Some evictions occur because renters broke their lease agreements by having a pet or maybe an unapproved roommate. Uh, But some evictions are filed erroneously, mistakenly, or even discriminatorily. What are some potential remedies for this growing problem of evictions and their their long-term effects on housing insecurity? Several states are actually making efforts to have evictions sealed or expunged from the records of tenants who were evicted. So Oklahoma is not one of those states per se, uh, although we do have some legislation in the current session that would possibly extend the length of time between being filed with an eviction and having to show up in court for your hearing. Also, there's a bill that would allow for sealing the eviction from a person's record after three years. But currently in Oklahoma, your eviction will stay on your record indefinitely uh, and be viewable on the internet to anyone who cares to take a look, including potential landlords. So it makes housing options very limited for people who do have an eviction. So what are some of the long-term consequences that uh, evictions can cause for families? You know, families can be hurt in so many ways by evictions. You can start with the housing instability and the inability to find suitable housing that is sanitary and safe. They affect children. They make children have to change schools. They affect the mental health of people. They can affect substance abuse problems. So there's just a litany of different problems that can be caused by evictions to families. Do some states have more leniency toward evictions uh, being sealed or expunged at the courthouse than Oklahoma does? And uh, if so, uh, have any improvements been seen in those areas? Absolutely, yes. Um, There are about nine states that have enacted new policies toward evictions, uh, whether that's automatically sealing them at the time of judgment. Um, Some states are working toward sealing or expunging these records after a certain amount of time has passed. In Philadelphia, they have enacted uh, a policy where after 10 years, an eviction can be expunged. And they're finding that these results really are helping the overall problem. All right. Well, thanks, Heather. You can read all of Heather's work on evictions and homelessness on our website at oklahomawatch.org. You've been listening to Long Story Short, a weekly podcast that helps you get deeper into the investigative stories reported by Oklahoma Watch, which you can find on the web at oklahomawatch.org. This episode was recorded at the AT&T Podcast Studio. For Oklahoma Watch, I'm Ted Struley. Thanks for listening.